0: let's turn to the book of luke luke chapter 14. luke chapter 14. i always am a little hesitant whenever i reference a movie because that doesn't necessarily mean that i'm going to give you an endorsement of a movie but i am going to reference one today and it's one that came out in the early 90s it was sort of a dark comedy called death becomes her and the whole plot of the movie had to do with these women that had an affection for a particular man, but they felt like the only way that they could contain and keep this man's affections is if they kept their youthfulness and their beauty. So both of them have purpose to try to find a way to contain and to keep that so they can keep that love and affection. Well, one of them in particular has made a discovery, and that discovery had to do with um, a particular organization, place, people that have apparently put the fountain of youth in a bottle. All you have to do is drink what's in this bottle, and you will maintain your youthfulness for eternity. So one of them in particular, Meryl Streep, she goes, she takes that, and she's handed this bottle by the person, and she says, okay, let's go. She drinks the whole thing, and as soon as she drinks it, the woman who gave her the potion says, and now a warning. And she goes, now a warning? And the the whole point of the movie from that point changes. I mean, the the entirety of the purpose of what was trying to be accomplished and everything is a real twist in the story occurs in that moment because we all know warnings are are meant to happen before an action happens, not after. If it happens after, it's completely lost its purpose. Well, we've been looking at discipleship. A couple of weeks ago, we looked in particular at the call of it. Last week, we looked at the pathway for it and our hearts in it, and today we look at its cost. And so prior to discipleship, we have to understand and remember there is a cost to it. Now, we all know, what about salvation? Is there a cost to salvation? Salvation to us is free. It costs God immensely, but to us, salvation is free. Well, how can something be free and yet have a cost to it? Well, anybody ever give you a free dog? was that actually free no there was a cost that most certainly came with it and it's the same way with discipleship what is the cost behind being a disciple the answer death you have to die that's the cost of discipleship another cheery sermon on a Sunday morning right but it's something that we all need to stop we all need to take seriously we all have to consider and then on top of that, whenever we're discipling other people, we need to make sure we include this. Jesus, we learned last week, calls us his friends. But he said, you are slaves, but now I call you my friends. And we asked, well, what is it? which is it? Are we slaves are we friends? And the answer was yes. We are slaves that have been made friends. Well, if we are his slaves, purchased by his blood, purchased unto him, we actually do belong to him. And there are rights that he has that he can call us to and should be able to call us to. And what does that look like? It means that a lot of times I have to die to what I want, like we said before. Sometimes I have to operate in direct contrast to how I might feel about some things. Luke 14, 25, you see in that verse that the crowds were following Jesus and going along with him. I've always been impressed. Jesus, I think, has just... one of his great failures, can I say that in life, is he never read the modern church growth books because as he gets these big crowds and they begin to grow bigger and bigger around him, he'll then say something that brings about what I'll call a Scottish revival. You know, when you start with 60 and you end with four because those Scottish, they were hard people, right? And they're preaching. Well, this is what Jesus would often do with the crowd as well. Why does he do that? Because he never lets the crowd control the truth. They're not going to do that. The truth is the truth, and he's going to speak it, no matter what that might do to the crowds that follow him. And so he begins by saying, if anyone's going to come after me, if anybody is going to be my disciple, you're going to follow me. So this is to anybody who comes to him in faith, not just the immediate context of those followers, but to all of us. And in in the scriptures, there are six places, and only six places, in which Jesus says, or the scriptures say as a whole, you cannot be my disciple unless, or you are my disciple if. Only six places. So you know something about those six comments. They're not hard, they're straightforward, and they're very clear. And in John 14, you have three of them. I'm calling them the irreducible minimums of discipleship. You can't be a disciple if you don't consider or live by these things. And so in here, we're going to find that there are three in particular that you don't have to infer, you don't have to guess at, and these three specifically address and come in the context of a cost, things that will cost you to be a follower of Jesus. Two of them are very specific costs. One of them is an overarching cost, but we need to look at them. So the first very specific cost comes at you here in Luke 14, 26, where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The first cost we learn here is if you wanna follow Jesus, you have to be willing to lose or to give up your closest relationships. It doesn't mean that you necessarily will, but you have to be ready to do so. You have to be willing to do so. If you have to choose between him and this relationship, he's going to win out now that's an easy thing for me to stand up here and preach i know for a fact some of you live this you've had to choose between mother and father you've had to choose between son or daughter family member brother or sister in order to follow christ and they in essence have cut you off you didn't seek it you didn't want it but they did and i can't think of very many costs that hit us much deeper than this. This is a severe one. But Jesus, in speaking explaining it, he uses the term, whoever hates his brother, father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, even self. Well, what, what does that even mean? What's he talking about here? Obviously, he's not talking literally, this is hyperbole. And uh, otherwise, if that was the case, when Jesus says, love your neighbors, yourself, as a summation of what God desires, that would make absolutely no sense. Uh, well, I'm supposed to hate myself, you know? No, 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 don't go there. He makes this statement, As a shocking statement it's meant to be shocking you have to compare say your love for your spouse with the relationship of your worst enemy and the gap that you find between there jesus says that's the kind of allegiance that i call out of my disciples the closest human relationships that we have cannot compare to what we will have for him Now, if Luke gives us sort of a literal word-for-word translation of this, Matthew gives us more of a thought-for-thought when he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So this is all a matter of allegiance. Jesus says, he gets first allegiance. Allegiance. There was an instance in my own ministry where this really came to a head. I'd never really thought about it in these terms. It was when our former pastor went to the mission field. And I remember having a conversation as they were going, and as part of their working with their agency, they had to sign this document. And the document made a statement that said, if you go overseas, if you go to this other place and your children are kidnapped, you need to know up front there will be no negotiations for their release and you may have to just consider your son or daughter a martyr. When I heard that and realized people are gonna have to write their name on a piece of paper to say, that's how far I'm willing to go, that's when the cost got very real. I realized I have had almost no cost. That's the kind of allegiance Jesus calls for. You can't follow Jesus and learn from him if you have other relationships that have a greater pull. And the Bible has a term for us when we do have another relationship with a greater pull. It's called idolatry. That's what it's, that's what it's compared to. So let me hit you up. I'll go to young people, but not just the young people. You got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend, and they're not a follower of Jesus, but they're really nice, really like them, but they don't follow him. Jesus says, I take priority and obedience to me says you don't date you don't go out with them you don't marry them you seek those who will follow after me or maybe you're tempted to enter into a relationship with someone that isn't your spouse but they treat you so nice and they're so kind you know Jesus says no 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 no. I get allegiance over all this never mind the fact that yeah your spouse should get that allegiance Jesus says what drives that it's your allegiance unto me That's what drives that. You got a family member or a close friend calling you to embrace maybe anti-biblical lifestyles, anti-biblical behaviors, tempting you to engage in anti-biblical behaviors or acts of disobedience. Jesus says, I get priority. Your job is not to preserve that relationship. Your job is to know me and to love me and to serve me. That's the cost. And it kind of lends itself to the second cost as well which is very similar. It's found in verse 33 where Jesus says, so then none of you can be my disciple who doesn't give up all his own possessions. So you can't live with one foot in heaven and one in the world. And if verse 26 says, look, the cost is no relationship takes priority. Jesus says, the same thing goes for anything that you would own. You must be willing to give up any of your possessions or your goods. They cannot take your first priority. Now, incidentally, isn't it ironic? No, not ironic. Isn't it it so like Jesus? This is exactly what he did for us. He gave up heaven. He gave up the riches that he had there to come down here to embrace what goes on here on earth, to go through the pain, the suffering that he would go through. And why did he do that? Because this was all part of the plan that the Father had for him. He would submit to his Father to go to that cross to then redeem us from sin. Why? Because there was no possession that he would have even in heaven that would be greater than his allegiance to his Father. And that's what Jesus calls us to have with him. So as we've received life in him by faith, we will live in the same faith. And that faith cannot be changed by our possessions, whether they're few or they're many. Because some of us, we're going to be entrusted with a lot. Some of us, we're not going to be entrusted with quite as much. But in both cases, in fact, it's interesting, sometimes I've found that the people who struggle the most with their possessions are the ones that don't have as much. Often that can be the greatest struggle and the cost. Give an example of somebody here, who could, uh, Moses. Moses, who it says he could have retained the possessions of Egypt, but by faith he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So all that Moses had in Egypt, he was willing to give that up in order to do whatever it is that his God would call him to do. And he did have to give up a lot. And that's in direct contrast with another New Testament example we have of a fellow named Demas. Some of you might remember the testimony of Demas, that Paul says that he is one who, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. And when I I read this and I think about the first recipients of this message, I mean, these are the costs that they had. right out of the gate. Oftentimes they would be Jews, and when they made their profession of faith, their families would cut them off. They would have a funeral for them, consider them dead. And when you were cut off from the family, you were cut off from the community, and that means you were cut off from those means by which you would gain your income. And so they're having to give up possessions and homes. They were having to give up everything just as they began their faith. They understood this. Usually, for most of us in America, that's not the case, is it? Some of you, that is the case. But for most of us, it's not. Now, I have had people come up and say, no, wait a minute, I don't, I don't understand this. Is Jesus calling us to have some sort of vow of poverty? I don't necessarily think that that's the case. Um, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says that we're to instruct those that are rich to do good and to give up all their possessions. Wait, is that what the verse says? No, that's not what the verse says. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and to be ready to share. In other words, when God gives us these resources, we're to manage those resources, and we need to see them as tools that he then can use for good. Now, I could elaborate on this a whole lot more. I actually don't need to, because it was about a year ago when I was gone. Jack Elwood came up here and preached an entire sermon on this called, It Doesn't Belong to Me. So if you want to get some more information about this, you need some more help in thinking about possessions and, and the right mentality, all you got to do is go to brbible.org, go into sermons, click that in the search bar. Just type his last name in, Elwood. And you'll see the list of choices, and once you do that, just go to the one, it doesn't belong to me, and you can get this much more in-depth. But the challenge is to see ourselves not as owners, but as stewards. God has said, this is what I'm entrusting to you to take care of. Now, you can use it, you can enjoy it, but don't let it take your heart. That's the call. And I've got just a few diagnostic questions for you, maybe to help you, if this is one of your struggles. Here's the first one. When it comes to debt, does that even bother you? Now, I'm not talking about i got to get a loan for a house, all right? That's a, kind of a different animal. I mean, I'm willing to spend, uh, to, to go out beyond my means to acquire certain things because I just want those things. Scripture says there's an indebtedness, there's a slavery that goes with that. It's an allegiance that we now have to make to the creditor rather than an allegiance that we can make to Christ. So the call, where are you with debt? Are you aggressive? Are you desirous to not get in it or to get in, out of it? Here's another one. How are you? How long can you go without your phone? Uh, way too convicting. All right. How about the internet? You know, um, you know, things of this nature. How about this one? How long can you go without receiving a package on your front door? This one hits close to home. I see the Amazon truck go by my house all the time, and I notice this latest thing that they put on the side, warning, contents may cause happiness. Now, I get it, and we all get it. There's something about getting that thing that you wanted. There's an enjoyment that goes with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when my heart is wrapped up in, that's where I find my joy. That's when I'm getting what fills the vacuous hole in my heart. And we learn real quick, it actually doesn't, and it never will. Another diagnostic question. When it comes to your money, do you give? Do you give financially to God's purposes? God reminds us there's a cost to remember. Everything you have is his. Everything. And he calls you to steward it. The challenge, what will your final accounting Of that stewardship look like well now that i've made everybody offended upset i've I've messed up all your shoes by stepping on all your toes let's go on to the last cost and there's a sort of a catch all that jesus makes when he says in verse 27 whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple oh i forgot this quote doug wilson theologian no man is truly sanctified till his money is it's got to be first, or Christ has got to be first. But back to verse 27. Whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, that would have been, and still is, somewhat of a radical statement in the day. Because remember, back in Roman times, when you were executed, you were putting, the beam was placed on your shoulder, and you were walked from point A to point B to go to your execution. And the idea was you were making a statement as long as you were walking along. And that statement was, I didn't submit to Rome in my life. So the last deed that I will do in this life is I'll submit to Rome in my death. And you suffered as you went along, and everyone looked, and they knew you are now expressing an allegiance. might not have been your heart, but that's where you are today. And you did it all the way to your death. And so Jesus takes that picture, and he puts a little bit of a twist on it here. And he's letting us know that a disciple has to be someone willing to endure a suffering, even endure an injustice for his name's sake. God might call on you to suffer. Change that. God will call on you to suffer in some way, shape, or form. And a disciple is one who knows, okay, then I have to be willing to endure that and to go through it and to submit to him willingly when he brings it our way our allegiance to him would be on full display by suffering and at times even enduring injustice in front of others now again jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he himself wasn't first willing to do he did this when he went to the cross it was an unjust act and he endured it and why did he do it why did he go through that suffering because the father said this is the path and the plan for what we're going to do to redeem mankind and that means you have to submit You submit and you follow in this way. And in doing so, you'll bring me glory. And that's what he would do. Now, at this point, I can go into probably all these different stories about martyrs, right? Men and women who paid the ultimate price for the faith. But the reality is, again, by and large, that's not where most of us are. That's not the battle that we have. Now, I I don't know that I can define your cross exactly and what that's gonna look like. In fact, it may be very different for a whole lot of us. Some of you, you're in a business. And that means taking up your crosses you're going to do your business in an honest way but my competitors don't how am i going to stay ahead if i don't do what my competitors do jesus says that's the cost you'll honor me trust me to take care of it but you won't necessarily do what others are doing in order to get ahead you might have a business that's demanding that you succumb to the untruths that are going on in the world to take the lies of the culture and then go one step further to promote them and even to embrace them. That's a cost. Some of you may have to give up something that you really love, that you cherish, a lifestyle. Maybe you have to give up a job, a program, comforts that you have that you like and enjoy, a sport, just being liked. We all want that, just to be liked, some some form of security. I've already spoken about losing the love of a person that you love, but sometimes what this means is having to love someone you'd really rather not, that's very hard to love. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying, you gotta die to yourself. It's not about what you want. It's about living for him in accordance with what his desires are. And that's why I think Jesus would say, you gotta carry your own cross. It'll be different for each of you, but that is the cost of discipleship. Heavy stuff, right? The dark side of what we've been talking about. We we like to speak about the joy and the excitement. Well, let me end with that and just highlight this. Any cost you have to pay, he's worth it. He is worth it. He is worth anything you might have to give up because in him, that's the only place you can really find life. In him, that's the only place you're going to find real purpose. In him is the only place you're gonna find an eternal reward, not just temporary. In him, a clear conscience. In him, you find forgiveness. In him, you have peace with God. In him, you can know true love. In him, you can know truth. In Him, you can have the wisdom to live and apply that truth and that love. And in Him, you can find true treasures, lasting wealth, not just this life of eternally being on the hamster wheel, chasing after the smoke and mirrors that the world continues to present, saying, Here's life, here's life, here's fulfillment, here's where you'll find it. Because Jesus loves you, He says, Don't pursue that, pursue me. And it's free, but it has a cost. And you need to consider that. And if you aren't aware of the cost, if the people you're discipling are not aware of the cost, there is a good possibility you're going to establish an errant view of what it means to be a disciple. And you will turn someone into a self-absorbed life. You will, turn, you will cause them to walk in a self-absorbed lifestyle where God is here for me. I'm the sinner, and God is out here orbiting around me to take care of me when instead he is the center and we are on the outside here to serve and to worship and to glorify him no matter what that circumstance or that thing is that we may have to go through that's called living for his purposes and not our own i've shared this before but many of you haven't heard it before but it's a story by a fellow named juan carlos ortiz who writes a story about an individual who found a pearl And he knew that he wanted that pearl. And so what kind of price would he pay to get it? Story goes this way, that the man saw the pearl and he went to the merchant who owned it and said, I want this pearl. How much is it? And the merchant said, oh, it's very expensive. Well, how much? Oh, it's a lot. Well, by a lot, do you think that I could buy it? Oh, yeah, said the merchant. Everyone can buy it. But I thought you said it was very expensive. I did say that. Well, how much is it? It's everything you have, said the seller. All right, I'll buy it. Okay, well, then what do you have? Well, I got 10,000 in the bank. Good, 10,000. What else? Well, that's all I have. You don't have anything else? Well, I got a few dollars more in my pocket. Okay, well, how much is that? Pulls out, looks, oh, here's 100, 100 bucks. Great, that's mine too, says the seller. What else do you have that's all nothing else well where do you live asks the seller or in my house oh yeah I own a home so the seller writes down house mine well where do you expect me to sleep I mean you want me to sleep in my camper from this point on oh you have a camper do you that too what else (laughs) what does that mean am I supposed to sleep in my car oh you have a car yes i own two of them well they're mine now look you're taking my money you're taking my house my camper and my cars where is my family going to live oh so you have a family yes i have a wife and i have three kids they're mine now and suddenly the seller exclaims oh and i almost forgot you yourself too everything becomes mine your wife your children your house your money your cars And you too but then he goes on now listen i'm going to allow you to use all these things for the time being but don't ever forget that they're all mine just as you are and whenever i want to use any of them you must surrender them because i am now the owner so you say you want to be a disciple do you that friends is the warning the cost it's also the blessing the great blessing because the discipleship that costs nothing ultimately will accomplish nothing in the end it isn't this whole thing folks I hope you don't walk out of here just going well I feel guilty oh pastor Jack beat us down that wasn't the point at all not one bit this isn't about what have you done and what have you not done not one bit this is entirely about your heart in your heart you have the look of eagles the commitment that looks and says with a focus, oh God, I am completely in this with you, completely for your glory, no matter